You're listening to Angus Underground, featuring insight, opinion, and answers to the questions on everyone's mind. Prepare to be educated, entertained, and empowered with insight, news, and conversation with today's newsmakers. From the well-known to the not-so-well-known, raise your flag and join the revolution as your hosts, David, Joe, and Corbin, take you underground. Welcome back to the Angus Underground. I'm David, joined again by Corbin. Yeah. Hello, Corbin. Yeah, I just want everyone to know that at the end of this episode, we're going to make Joe cite his sources. Got it. Parenthetical? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Perfect. <I got> it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. There you're hearing Joe, Joe Fisher from California. Still here, still ranching. And we are joined again by our mutual good friend, Vincenzo Santini. Otherwise... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say it. I got in trouble last time. I'll say it. I'll say it. (laughs) I have a tendency to forget that (laughs) one of us is uh, very politically involved in, uh, shall I say, California. (laughs) And so we have to watch what we say on here. We don't want to get him in trouble and jeopardize his political career. But Vincenzo has been a good friend of ours and uh, many time contributor to the Angus Underground. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. We got to give a little insight. Like Vince is here because he's part of a text group that the four of us have that, man, there's some good stuff. <laughs> oh, I mean, if we could find a way to bottle up that text thread and put it on a podcast, oh. it would, it would beat these ratings by far. <laughs> no, It was awesome. Some of the stuff that I get from this guy cracked me up. Oh, it would be number one with a hit. No, it, the real reason Vince is with us. Um, and, and we're taping this. Jeez there a month in advance because one of us is taking a little sabbatical and going to Italy. And I'll just let you guys guess who that is. But uh, no, Vince, Vince put his son, Nate, on the tractor tonight. He's out there planning. And uh, Vince was just looking for an excuse to get off the tractor. So uh, we invited him in. Before we get into tonight's main topic, and I'm going off script, guys. So I was reading today about something called the shopping cart theory. Was that on guys' grocery games? <laughs> no, 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 no. So I'm going to ask each of you, and you're probably like me, you very seldom will be pushing a shopping cart. But Corbin, when you find yourself pushing a shopping cart out to the parking lot, to your rig, and you unload the cart, what do you do with the cart? I park it in the next closest parking place. No, I put that sucker up because it really does. It frustrates me when I see someone not put their card up. I'm like, this is why you are all obese in this country is because you won't even walk 12 steps, put the dang card up. Come on now. Corbin, you make it do a wheelie and put it in the planter box, don't you? <laughs> oh, I ride it. Yeah. Yeah. It's my scooter. So you're as passionate about the shopping cart as I am, Bar Soap. How about you, Vince? I always try to put it up. Try. Try. Well, I mean, they put them in the stupidest <laughs> spots. One of them will be right across from the other one. And then if you're out in the back 40, there's not one for 100 miles. So you just leave it out there. So you're saying occasionally you will leave it up. No, I put it up and make my wife come pick me up. But it still makes me mad. I don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> he pushes it further away from the deal. <laughs> so where they do things a little bit differently from the heartland out in California, uh, Joe, what do you do? Have you ever left the cart out from the corral? Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. I mean, we pay an army of people oh. to gather those things up. Oh. <laughs> They're remnant gatherers. It, but no, I seriously, I take it back 90% of the time to the little the little thing, but maybe 5%, I'll take it all the way back into the store. Oh my gosh. I was fixing to say in Joe's younger years, he was a rebel. He left his card out. <laughs> So, so 90% of the time he puts it in the corral, 5%, 5%, he takes it inside the store. So the other 5% of the time he's just, it's just left forever. I got four kids. It might hit the door of the car. It might. Okay. He probably brings it home with him. He puts it in the back of the truck. 2% of the time he loads it in the back of the truck. <laughs> no, you can't. We have, we have little locks that go on the bottom of the wheels. You can't do that in California. Okay. So I'm going to tell you what the shopping cart theory is. And by the way, I don't know that I subscribe to this. I just found it interesting. They were basically saying those who return the carts to the corral, that's what they call the little area where you put the carts all together, are basically good people. Wow. I can get down with that. So conversely, conversely, <laughs> Joe, who leaves the cart out 5% of the time, is not a good person. 5% of the time. 5%. Yeah. You're 5% bad. Good luck getting elected. What about the cart gatherers? Yeah. You went down that path. You chose. It's charity. No. It's charity in my heart. No, you <laughs> chose to go down that path. So I'm going to tell you what they said about that. Because some of the people, some of the people that they polled said, I leave the cart out there because it allows for the cart gatherers, the clerks to earn extra hours gathering carts. And then they interviewed cart gatherers or, or these grocery clerks. And they said, no, no, we don't get extra time for that because we're given a, a allotted amount of time to get those carts gathered up. Oh. And so you're not earning anybody any overtime for hell's sakes. That's good. It's easy. I eliminate the 5%. <laughs> I just won't go to the grocery store. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I think in today's COVID world, you, I think you're supposed to order and just pick it up curbside, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. You can order online. Actually, honestly, my wife has groceries delivered. Oh, wow. We could have groceries delivered here through Instacart, and it's 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 cheaper than the fuel we'd have to pay going to town and getting it ourselves. That would save so much money, by the way. <laughs> Can they stop at Starbucks, too, on the way? They would if you do DoorDash, but I don't know how to do DoorDash. I don't think they have that in rural Oklahoma. You don't have a Starbucks. Leoma, Tennessee, they might. I wish they did. I really <laughs> wish they did. And I can assure you in Big Fork, Montana, they don't. You're right. So Joe, Joe is spoiled, and he's 5% a bad person. That's interesting to learn. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> what did I say about the people that steal the carts? Yeah, they didn't go into that. We let them squat on government ground in California. Oh, man. That's crazy, isn't it? It's bad. There's, there's more shopping carts in cardboard houses in, in California than there is in little corrals. They didn't interview them. Yeah, that's going to be the next episode. We're going to we're going to explore homelessness in California and whether that's by choice or not. But yeah, one of these days we're going to get into a political episode. That that'll be real fun. That's that'll be the day that will drive off all listeners. So I'm looking forward to it. We'll put a disclaimer though. That way <laughs> you'll skip this one if you don't want to be at least mildly frustrated by the end of it. Yeah, absolutely. Don't waste time tending to back rubbers and ear tags. With Altosid IGR, you will get consistent horn fly control without changing what you're already doing. Feeding your cattle. 
With this premix feed-through, you won't be measuring fly control into cattle minerals. You'll be measuring added weight gains. Altocid IGR passes through cattle and into manure, where horn flies lay eggs, preventing adult flies that interfere with cattle health and profitability. Turn to Altocid IGR for horn fly-specific control year after year to stop changing fly control products each season. And unlike ear tags and sprays that require the effort of handling cattle, Altocid IGR spreads as your cattle graze with no known resistance and still only 2 to 3 cents per head per day. Make Altocid IGR the only choice for your mineral supplement. Contact your feed dealer today or go to altocidigr.com. You know, I'm pretty passionate about the Angus cow. How about you guys? While we raise them, probably more <laughs> passionate about those than shopping carts. Yeah, I am too. I am too. You know, she's the most recognized factor in all the beef business. My ideal cow, well, she goes about her business and I hardly even notice her. She's fertile, problem-free, productive, efficient. She has maternal instinct and intelligence. And when I say intelligence, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yep. <laughs> Some of those out there listening might not, but this is a cow that, you know, she's going to put her calf above her own welfare. She's going to make sure that calf gets nursed on a regular schedule. She's going to protect that calf from uh, predators. And I learned a, a lot many years ago. I moved out West here and these cattle are sent to really, really big country in the summer. One thing that we always did, and I, I didn't know this. I mean, these cowboys that worked for me taught me this. They said, when we send these two-year-olds out, we'll send them out with some nine, 10, 11 year old cows because those old cows are intelligent. They know how to graze and they know to move around and they'll teach those young cows. And there's a lot to be said for that. That's an intelligence that, by the way, I always took for granted coming from the East. When we were going to our mountain allotments, all replacement heifers stayed on their mothers. So they'd be weaned at like 11 months and 29 days, right? Basically right before mom calved because She'd get yeah. to follow her and, and learn the different browse, especially on the brush thing. On those middle country brush ranges, you put cattle all around feed and they'll starve to death. Absolutely. But if, if something shows them, they'll learn how to eat it and they'll like it and then they'll thrive in it. And that's what it takes. I mean, some of these permits, actually, when you get into the, the mountain permits, not BLM, but Forest Service, U.S. Forest Service leases, they actually require you buy the brand and the cattle because there's that notion that they would know the range and not just basically sit in the meadows and go to the easy country and get in trouble. And at one time we custom grazed some cattle and uh, it was pretty striking to me. These were cattle that weren't accustomed to uh, going to the mountains in, in the summer months. And, and so what they would do is they'd find the water and they stuck right where the water was and just overgraze that to oblivion. And there's plenty of grass elsewhere, but they didn't know. They didn't know to get out and search out that other grazing. And so, yeah, there's an intelligence. So my ideal cow has that intelligence. So I guess if I had mine, I, I wrote something that I thought actually, it, it was almost halfway a poem, but it didn't rhyme. So it was kind of weird. It was an Instagram post I did. Uh, oh, it was a couple years ago now. It was actually the day before. It would have been January of 2020, I guess. I said, maternal is a label placed on cattle with a certain level of brilliance and how they nurture their calf, adapt to rangeland, and convert forage to profitability. It's that simple. Yeah. Don't say anything about an udder looking a certain way, a body type <laughs> looking a certain way, a foot structure looking a certain way. All it just says is that it's a brilliance. It's a quiet brilliance 
it goes unnoticed forever. I mean, I remember 9217 of mine. I, I think I talked to, uh, I want to say it was Scott Shively about this one time, honestly, where Scott, I, I said, I think some of the greatest cows are the ones that go unnoticed the longest. Absolutely. They're the ones when you're sorting, you just never notice them. They probably ratio between 98 and 102. They're always bred first service. They go into the chute. They exit the chute. They never turn back at the gathering field. They're always just around, but they're out of sight. I mean, and then you turn around and they're 12 years old and you go, holy cats, she doesn't have a a triple A rated pedigree or anything. She's just here and she's doing it on her own merits, despite me getting in her way and trying to mess it up, honestly. Absolutely. From a commercial perspective, which is all I kind of have on that, it's definitely that way. You know, you'll look up and you'll have a commercial cow that's 12 and, and it'll be her time to hit the road. And you'll notice, you know, she's starting to age and she's starting to look tough and you'll just start thinking about and even if you have 350, 400, 500 cows, you could still remember her progeny. You know, she was orange 32 was her heifer. You still remember that cow's calf. And you look back and you think, man, that cow just did her job year in and year out. And you just kind of salute them. It's like, yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm talking about. And Vince, how many of those cows do you have? I'm not putting you on the spot, but like for me, the the ones, the triple A platinum named ones, you flush their eyeballs out and you're like, man, I got like three daughters of her. And then you look at this cow that just survived forever and you start looking, you go, gosh, I got granddaughters and great granddaughters and daughters. And how'd they all get here? You just put them out there and breed them and let them have calves and do it again. Instead of trying to, like you said, you pull them out of production and we're going to try to flush them and then they don't flush or they don't do this or, or they do flush and you keep flushing them. And then you've got these over here that you overlook and they just produce good calves year in and year out. And eight years down the road, you're thinking, I probably should have been doing something more with her. Or she raised eggs for us. Yeah, right? yeah absolutely. <laughs> this is like 7220 of mine. Exactly. 7220 raised 11 embryo calves for me. She never wintered or summered in the same place more than two years in a row. From three hours west of here to two and a half hours north, two and a half hours south, and in Gardnerville, Nevada. Like these cattle, we have regional issues with foothill abortion and, and other things. She never missed a beat. And so, you know what I did when she was, I'd have to think back of how old she was. She must've been 13 or 14. I was like, I got to sell her. She's old. I took her down to a flush place and we flushed her one time. We haven't put those eggs in, but as an aged cow, 26 embryos to SAV prosperity. Nice. They're still sitting in the tank. I thought you were going to say you cremated her, but whatever. <laughs> or flushed her to integrity. <laughs> yeah, boy. You know, it was Kevin Tebow and a couple of episodes ago. He he sent us a question, and he says, looking back, what do you guys think about some of these cows that go underutilized? And man, that that really got my mind spinning. And I think back to what I thought were great cows that have been in my history, and I go, man, we just squandered those. Because we were mating them to the bowl of the day. Yeah, just we were creating garbage from great cows. What a slide on those cows. Wait, so are you saying if we'd have treated them like the middle cut and just left them in the middle and they ate them and kept going and not doing the hottest thing, we'd still have something to show us some of those great cows in the breed, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and we're going to have uh, our good friend Dallas Woltemath on here one of these days. We were actually hoping to have him on for this episode, but he had a prior commitment. And he and I got together a couple of weeks ago and we were out looking at cows and I sprung this idea on him. I said, would you be willing to come on? And I'm going to yeah, say something I shouldn't, but Dallas is a little bit older than I am. So he's got a little more history than I have. I said, think back to all the great cows. Dallas has been around, man. 
I mean, he's been around a lot of the great Angus cows. And I said, think back to all those cows. Where in the hell are they now? We ought to be working with great-granddaughters, great-great-granddaughters. I said, there's nothing left. Why? Why? And my theory is we utilized them poorly by mating them to bulls that, quite frankly, weren't very maternal. They were bulls that were popular in the day, and then they fell out of popularity you know, within the next 12 months. And they got thrown on a scrap heap or turned into a resip. And yeah, it's a real shame when you think back to some of the great cows in our past. Oh, and I think we got the matings wrong. Do I get to talk about pedigree placement here? Or we got to wait for that. We got to wait, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it coming up. Uh, but I mean, some of these cattle, we used power cows and bulls that look like steers on them. And those cows carried that mating. Yeah. But we had no regard for what we were doing to the maternal inheritance on the bottom side. That's right. There's your teaser. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about it. How many times did we do them to the wrong bulls and then we blame the cow? Yep. Instead of blaming ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that cow should have done better than that. Let's just get her out of here. <laughs> you mean for once somebody chose to blame the cow instead of the bull? All the time. Happens all the time. <laughs> So, David, Kevin, I'll, I'll follow up because this is where I take the lead. I, I think him and Trent Brown both said, what are our favorite cows and cow families? Yeah. You want to dive right into that? I do. Why don't you start? I do. Well, I was hoping you'd talk about mitochondrial DNA first. Well, um, because I think that sets the stage for all this, right? Well, yeah, sure. I think Joe skipped that on purpose. That's his <laughs> little secret. No, mitochondrial DNA. Does anybody remember the back to like high school biology? Corbin, you remember what you're closer to that than we are. What's the role of the mitochondria? I don't know. I know more about calculus, unfortunately. It's the powerhouse of the cell. It's the powerhouse of the cell. And guys, I'm not a biologist. I'm an animal science major, but I'm not a biologist. So if I get technically wrong here, don't, don't crucify me. But there's millions and millions and millions of base pairs of DNA that is actually you know broken apart during cell replication, right? And, and gamete production. And, and then it comes together in fertilization. But then like 17 to 20,000 fragments of DNA come from the mitochondria in the form of mitochondrial DNA that can only come from the mother of that calf. And so when we get these power cows that we're talking about, are we giving credit to that mitochondrial DNA? Do we have the ability to parse that out in our genetic predictions? And I, I would venture a guess, no. Since I was supposed to do the lead on this, I brought up a cow that nobody would know anything about, but I would because she's really important to me. Her number was Bruin 1320. Ebony 4193. Look her up. She's a VAR new design 1320. 1320 was an 036 son of 174B. Vince, you know who 174B was? No, you should. David, you got to know. I do. You owned her, Vince. Oh, my God. What the 12 years old or what? <laughs> That's Russ's sister. Russ's full sister. Power cow. Oh, God. That was. 115 years ago. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what, you look up power cow in the dictionary, 174B's picture is right there. Can we take a detour again? Did I tell you guys about the Lucy boy daughter of hers that if I look up her EPDs today, it shows her mature weight of negative three? <laughs> That's fun. By the way, <laughs> and she's positive dollar energy. That's a topic for another day, Corbin. <sighs> that means that she had no maternal inheritance going for her. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but 4193, her biggest claim to fame is she raised uproar, actually. Oh. And so when we talk about the maternal, she was a recip. 
she didn't have any glitz and glamour pedigree for what we were doing at the time. She goes back to 1370, who was a doctor daughter of Polly of Ebony 2053. I think they called one of those like her nickname was Bonehead or something, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't remember why, but it goes back to the famous Ebony cow family that was from Cal Poly. Cows that just did it on their own. That cow had something freaky with her mitochondrial DNA because she was feeding that cell and everything out of her ended up being good. The females lasted a long time. Uproar ended up doing what he did. And how many times have you guys, we've all done it, right? Are you going to put embryos in your very best cows? My response is you should. You should, if you expect that expression of genes, and, and when the mitochondria goes in, that's what it's controlling, the powerhouse of the cell. It's not really necessarily providing huge amounts of genetic contribution. But if you think about genetics in terms of light switches, it has the ability through, through its energy production to turn light switches on and off, right? The expression of genes. And do we really care what's inside of the animals in terms of genes if the expression doesn't matter? That's where I'd say, no, well, what's it matter if you have all the marbling in the world, if you can't turn it on and what's it matter if you have huge birth, if you never turn it on, you keep it low, all those things. I think we'll go back in time actually. And we'll figure out, you know, humans as a whole, we're really, really arrogant people. Right. And we think we have the answers to everything at any moment in time, all the time, five years from now, eight years from now, we're going to find new technologies. That's going to say, man, mm -hmm. we, if we fed this chelated mineral on this stage of pregnancy, we have cattle that did this. That was so much lower hanging fruit than years and years of snipping out this gene and putting in this gene and doing that. I mean, I think that it's a little bit arrogant to think that we know everything about everything when it comes to genetic contribution of animals, but mitochondrial DNA that's the skinny. If you want more, look into it. Give me a call. But I'm a firm believer in these power cows have something different about them. And it's not quantified in any of the models that we have. But if you ask any of the old breeders, any breeders of livestock, horses, they all know about this stuff. But we're not preached to it in, in any form of animal science because it's not bright and shiny and it's not exciting. So, David, do you want to get into your cow families or you got something to add for that? I want to follow up on your discussion there because you brought up one thing that that... None of the genomics takes into account, and that's the epigenetics. Absolutely. You uh, alluded to it as a light switch. And you can have these X, Y, and Z genes, but if they don't get expressed, if that switch doesn't get flipped, it doesn't matter. Well, I'll take you back to DD. Out of cow, uh, 4389 was a C. I bred her to a bull that was another C, and I had several A's. And A would have been terrifying, right? It'd be terrifying. It's like, you're going to, you're genetic yeah. explosion. You're going to have six heads. But to me at that moment in time, <laughs> that's where the whole thing, the thing quote unquote lost me because I said, this cow has value. Her genetics say that she should have a problem and she doesn't. So why aren't we looking at her as the outlier and saying, what is, what is turning on or turning off? And the reply I got is she probably has a yeah. teeny tiny skin tag somewhere that you can't see or it's internal. I'm like, man, those are some assumptions I'm not willing to take. Yeah, that's... <laughs> By the way, this is one topic that just really stokes me. We can make 20 episodes on this. This epigenetic factor, you know, you brought it up. Maybe we'll discover that we can feed a mineral at a certain time. It might be that we feed the cattle, I don't know, uh, kelp <laughs> or seaweed at a certain time. And then it makes them express a certain trait. But there's so much we don't know. And I'm one that always likes to keep it simple. I mean, I've said it a thousand times on this podcast. Let's just keep it simple, folks. But I, I think this is simple. When we talk about mitochondrial DNA, we're looking for 
those prepotent cows, and when we say the word prepotent, what does that mean? That means these cows have the uh, innate ability to pass on given traits. Doesn't matter what you made them to, those traits seem to come through every time. And that's mitochondrial DNA that's doing that. We can use the word prepotent, but it's mitochondrial DNA. And when we look at that and we look at the uh, epigenetic factors, to me, that is simple. And it's something that we can all see in our own cow herds. This is not a number coming from AAA. This is something that you go out and observe. And the numbers won't account for it. The HD50K won't account for it, folks. Can this be something as simple as, uh, you know, like one one teeth that's longer in her back left quarter or something as simple as uh, she's got a longer nose or, or is it deeper than that? Yes, yeah, deeper than that. I mean, Vince and I were talking about it earlier today. Vince says, hey, I've got, you know, these 12-year-old cows, they got crap for numbers, but they bring in the heaviest thing calf every year. Guess what? That's mitochondrial DNA, folks. That is a productive cow. and She's doing it regardless of what bull Vince mates her to. And then he's comparing her to uh, just pick a bull, pick a bull. And we're not picking on anybody's bulls here. Pick a bull like Growth Fund. Very popular sire right now. Sire's a lot of growth. You know, Vince says, I've got this 12-year-old cow. I made her to an oldie bull, and she brings in a calf heavier than these growth funds. What is that? That's mitochondrial DNA. That's in perfect harmony with the environment in which she's reared. Absolutely. And the numbers aren't going to pick that up. Okay. You can turn her in. She can ratio 120 from now until 20 years from now. She's going to get that EPD suppression because she's old. I mean, that's built into the system. So Vince has it figured out, hey, that's the cow. She's one of the good ones. Okay. So I got to make more daughters of that cow. Yeah, but I... You know, in today's time where everybody's worried about the what the EPD says. Yeah, quit worrying about what people are worried about. I agree, but you got to market it. So I make those and I keep them back in the herd. Nobody gets a chance to ever buy them. They might buy daughters or granddaughters. You offer them to Corbin there, he'll buy her. Promise. You have to take that deeper. That's how we buck the system is you start showing people when they say, wait a minute, you're selling these and you're keeping these. What's going on here? Dig into herds, people. Everyone's doing it. They got their selling kind and the keeping kind, and they've had them for years. And they're two different kinds of cattle. It's funny you get into this. You get into this and you say, I've got these growth funds with these big numbers. Okay, so you've got that 12-year-old cow that you're saying doesn't have these big numbers but brings home big calves. I would say you have a very huge responsibility in this instance, and that's to mate her to something that you're going to have a better chance of passing that on. Because, you know, or as we talked about in the last episode, I believe, over the years, you sort of breed out that productivity. So we talked about some of these cows that you never even hear from anymore. Well, we bred it out of them. Well, we'll get there later, but it's the cows you brought in too. You're watering down her concentration of blood. I mean, and you're yep. you're bringing in a cow that does not fit. Exactly. And I think a lot of that too, David and Corbin Vince, I, the homozygosity of the base pairs isn't there because we outcross, outcross, outcross. I think if you probably had, I would say there's a combination of mitochondrial DNA, um, environmental harmony, whatever you want to call that, perfectly adapted for the environment. You're also going to find, I think, a lot of those cows that are in perfect harmony with their environment have a high degree of homozygosity in certain traits that allow them. So every time that, whatever, the chromosome splits when, when they go through gamete production, right? When that splits, it's passing along the same thing because they're homozygous. 
right? And environment and time has vetted out that genetic selection and that resilience. And I think that we get impatient because we're excited to market the new shiny object, but really you got to freshen that pedigree up by bringing that cow back to the front. We'll get there later, but you see some guys going back and doing that. And you, especially these breeders that we mentioned in previous episodes of being our mentors and stuff. And one guy, I'll guarantee you, he's got the biggest cash of 004 semen in the world. And someday you may not see it, but it's getting freshened up all the time. It's brought back in to bring the power of those cows back to the front, right? You mean he has more than Vince? I'll bet you. <laughs> How much you got, Vince? Is it on genebrokers.com? Is it on sale? I got about three or four straws. Three or four yeah. straws. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is a lot of fun for me. So, Trent Brown asked, name some of your favorite cow families or some of the most famous cow families. And Guys, there's been so many. This is an impossible task. You know, it, it sounds real fun and it is fun, but it's an impossible task because there's been so many great ones. Um, the Forever Ladies that we talked about earlier, the Ariskes, the Dixie Ericas, the Donna's Black Cat Maze. I mean, Everelda Intenses, the Blackbirds. Oh my gosh, it just goes on and on. But when, when I really put my mind to it, I said, what, what are my favorites? And obviously I'm biased. I'm biased towards the cows that I've personally worked with. I'm not saying there aren't better cows out there. I'm saying these are the cows that uh, I have encountered. I've either worked directly with them or I've seen them and seen their production. But what I look for are these prepotent cows. They've done it more than once. They've done it in a highly repeatable fashion. I think number one on my list, and I'm I'm gonna lump two cows together here because I don't I don't know if it started with Donna 386, which is the dam of Donna 714. 714's record is is phenomenal. The number of great productive sons and daughters she's produced is uh incredible. And so did it start with 386 or did it start with 714? I'm gonna say it started actually before 386. Was it J311? Is that her dam? That's really the first recorded instance, I think. And the story goes on there. But you you look at that tree, starting with J311, who produced 386, who produced 714. And I've got a number of 714 daughters here at Montana Ranch, 206, 505, uh, 7233, Jeez, I'm going to leave some of these out. And then go an hour south of here and you look and, and see what Larry Coleman has going there. I mean, at one time he had 80 some odd daughters of 714 and each of those cows were making a, a really positive contribution to his program. So obviously the Donna tree is very important to me. And I think the next tree is the Black Cat May 4136 tree. I don't know of another cow that has quite as esteemed record as 4136. Joe, what do you think? Joe's on mute, by the way. <laughs> This is the first time I've done this, guys. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I caught you off guard. No, I had on my Angus Legends book. And I'm flipping through it, and I didn't want to bump my microphone. I thought my headphones were <laughs> messed up again. <laughs> you know what's really funny? When we talk about mitochondrial DNA, we just I would actually make an argument that all the power cows in the entire Angus population are blackbirds. Interesting. Go back to Black Cat Mace. They all go back to Blackbird of Korsky 3D in like 1860. The Black Caps... Blackbirds, they all go back to the same cow. 8809 goes back there. E406 goes back there. There's piles of them. I can pull it up. Blackbird 1204. So 
when you think about 4136, I go, well, she's from the same branch of the cow family as 2536. Just put those two cows together and say, is there anything that's had any more breed potency than, than those two? I, I don't think so. And I think it's undeniable what she does if you put it on the top of a pedigree. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to get there. I know you're, you're itching to get there, but, but just for, for an instance, let's, let's isolate 4136 here. She was the dam of resource, renown, recharge, president, rainfall, rain dance. The list goes on and on and on. And I'm going to leave some out. I'm not going to try to name them all, but that cow's influence is, has been incredible, but she's a different cow than say seven Donna 714. Completely different kind of cow. Use her differently in a pedigree. Everelda Intense, 1905. Holy smokes. I guess in, in the late 90s, you had Everelda Intense, 1905 and, and uh, 1137. I mean, those were the dominant cows of their their era. And they're gone, right? They're gone. For the most part. For, for the most part, yeah. I mean, 1905, 1905 to me, and there can be plenty of argument uh, against this, but she was the cow. She was the cow over 1137. I just thought there was a little more power there. Those cattle just had more substance, more rib shape, more muscle expression, yet they were still extremely feminine made, very angular in their design. So I put 1905 up there in my, my top list. Joe brought up the, the Blackbirds. Okay. So my familiarity is with uh, the Blackbird 558H in the early 2000s. It was 558H and 2536, the uh, black cat 2536. They were the dominant cows. But 558H was a cow. You know, she was popular because of her number. She was the number one ribeye cow in the breed. We at one time had an EPD. This will, Corbin, listen to this. We actually had an EPD that we no longer have. It was called Percent Retail Product. Ooh, retail product. Yes, Percent Retail Product. And uh, 558H, number one ribeye cow, number one percent retail product cow in the breed. So what was percent retail product? It looked at ribeye and fat. Okay. Can I replace my dollar B? Eh, no, because percent retail product had nothing to do with marbling. Okay. I can't recall if it had much to do with carcass weight. I It might have, but, but it was driven by ribeye and fat. The important news here is that they can get rid of an EPD. Anyways, moving on. They can, but... <laughs> yeah. Let's say we stripped away the EPDs on 558H. That was a great, great cow. And she was prepotent. I We mated that cow to everything under the sun, good and bad. And guess what? Every single flush yielded great progeny. I love that cow. Cool cow. Yeah, great cow. And, and by the way, by the way, if you push me on this and you said, what was the most influential descendant from that cow? It would have been uh, Blackbird 4301, which is the dam of the Blackbird 8809, who is the dam of VAR generation and all those other VAR bulls have been highly successful. Wasn't she related to that Riverbend bull too? There was a Riverbend bull really heavily used. Uh, no, 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 no. Different deal. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Completely different deal. I, at least I think you're talking about Tehama Riverbend 802. No, I'm talking about the Riverbend bull. He was like a consensus bred deal or something. Went back to 4031, I thought, but it doesn't matter. We're just riffing. I'll look him up and I'll text you later. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on because we're, we're going to go off into some rabbit holes here. I'm going to put Rita 5H11 on that list. She was the grand matron of the carcass push in the late 90s into the 2000s. But that cow, that cow was very influential because a lot 
a lot of great cows stem back to her. I mean, we talk about G-A-R-E-X-T 614 that resided right there at Shady Brook. Absolutely. I mean, she was a daughter of 5-H-11. There, Vince is holding up a Shady Brook catalog. We talk about EXT 2104. She is the dam of the Precision 2536 from the Black Cat family that Jill referenced earlier. EXT 2104 was, I'm not kidding when I say this, that was one of the great, great cows I've ever seen in my life. Compared to 2114, David. More power. More power. More depth, more rib shape, more muscle expression. Still, just like the Everell Intense 7060 I referenced earlier, still had that ultra-feminine extended front third, but with all that power and just a perfect udder underneath her. I mean, a great cow. 2104 is the mother of 706 too, correct? No, 2114 is the mother of 706. Okay. So 2114, 2104 were flush sisters. And so 706, Precision 706, and Precision 2536 would have been full sisters in blood. In blood. Yeah. In blood. And both were great, great cows. And then we get kind of into more modern times here. I'm going to give you a couple of cows that are probably not on everyone's radar. Uh, the B&B Blackbird Progress 3015. Good cow. You go, who in the heck's that? Okay, so that's a cow that's standing out there at B&B Angus, Bud Copels in South Dakota. She's the dam of uh, uh, Copels B&B Pathfinder. And this cow is really intriguing to me. Who's she sired by, David? <laughs> She's sired by the one and only Identity. At one time, made his home there in uh, Oklahoma at the Rafter 5M. But uh, 3015, really incredible cow. We talk about these cows that toil under anonymity. And this was a cow that was probably on that path until she produced the bull pathfinder. And since that time, she's produced numerous other sons that I think are destined to go on and, and start some greatness. But 3015... She's a fifth-generation Pathfinder dam. That's pretty incredible when you stack five generations of cows that are doing it right. But what makes this even more amazing is that until this last year, I know Bud shut the cow down from production, and he's been flushing her, which makes perfect sense. I mean, she's a nine-year-old cow. Let's get some goody out of this cow and make as many daughters as we can. But this was a cow up until that point. She earned Pathfinder status every year that she was eligible. So it wasn't a one-time deal on this cow. It wasn't have three great calves and, and get Pathfinder. She continued to do it. Super duper. Super duper Pathfinder, yes. And then I'm going to pluck a cow out of my own herd here uh, that I think kind of fits the mold of these other cows that I mentioned. And that's the Joni 3063 cow. She, too, is a Pathfinder dam. She produced the benchmark bull. And we haven't owned the cow forever. We bought her out of the Millbury dispersal. But this is a cow that just, according to the young daughters I have in this herd, I mean, this is a cow that seems to do it on everything we throw at her. She seems to have that ability to pass on that maternal inheritance that we've been talking about. Okay, so I've rambled on. I, sh I should have hit the buzzer on myself long ago. So I want you guys to jump in. Let's start with uh, Corbin. Corbin, since you're first on my monitor here and tell us about your favorite cow families so my list actually is going to overlap yours on a few and i'll just skip those because you've already touched on them uh if i do have something different on each one of those cows i will be sure and point it out but basically i've only been doing this for a short time frame so so i tried to limit my list 
to cows that I had seen progeny out of them in person. So I, I didn't want to use anything that I'd just seen on the internet or seen a video of. These are all things that I've seen. I've seen bulls out of her. I've seen her. I've seen heifers. I've seen I've seen them in some way, shape, or form. The first cow on my list is BNB Erica 605. This cow is really amazing to me because she's 16 years old and she's just calved the other day. She's had numerous, numerous sons. She's the dam of identity. She's the dam of that bull that's named Whitestone, which obviously Mark thinks really highly of her. He wouldn't have named her named that bull knight Whitestone. You're right on the money here with this cow. That is a great, great cow. That is a cow that has stood the test of time and she's still getting after it at 16. Identity was 12 when he passed away. He bred cows all the way up until the day he died. That's getting it done for a long period of time. I do have 4136 on my list. And that's because I've seen so many daughters of renown and resource and so many sons of renown and resource that kind of compel me to say that this cow belongs on this short list of great cows. She's had numerous other sons that I, I don't think that you could say have, have left their mark. They haven't had the opportunity, but they probably will. You know, you've got the uh, 6644 cow and you just never know how far that lineage is going to go from her. I also had a Blackbird Progress 3015 on there. Just being at Buds and seeing her, the udder that's up underneath her, her feet. That cow is big. She is massive. She is stout. That cow is pretty impressive. And the the rainfall daughters out of her are awesome. The ter- There's a territory daughter out of her that was really good. That cow's not done. That cow's, you're going to see progeny out of her that is going to blow you away. Keep her on your radar if, if you're paying attention. Also, one of our listeners that we've mentioned in previous episodes, I, he came to mind because I went and saw, I was in South Dakota and I saw the uh, the lineage bull that sold at uh, Hilltops. The cow is Hilltops Miss Upward 54B. The reason I want to point her out is because she was 12 years old. She had just calved when I was there. And so she was in the barn. The udder that was up underneath this 12-year-old cow that that was seven at 106. I think she was seven at 106 last. I think that's what Blake had told me. But the udder that was up underneath this cow with that nursing ratio, it was just pretty impressive for me to see. And I was just I was something that I took note of. Just a really, really good cow. Good feet. That udder, you know, out of an upward, you know, whenever a cow can produce like that and have an udder like that. And then one for my own herd, uh, since since David kind of started that off, uh, is uh, Milbray 338. Right time, Glenda 0231. It's a cow that's here. The reason I feel compelled to put her on the list is because I, whenever I first got it started in this, I made it this cow the total wrong way. I've made her some stuff that I would not really care to divulge. They worked. I mean, she carried these things. And, and luckily, I, I caught myself before it was too late. And I was able to kind of right the ship and breed her the right way. She is a great cow. And, and even those matings that you didn't care for, it still resulted in awesome individuals. She had the mitochondrial DNA. She did. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, Joe, I'm super excited to hear what you got. I don't know if it's that exciting. I, I hope the lesson, I hope the lesson here, big picture, you know, that's the guy I am. I don't think there's bad cow families or good cow families. It's understanding them and how they work and how their pedigrees were constructed. And I think that the good lesson for me, we've been rolling around this topic for what, two months now. And so I've had lists upon lists that I cross cows off. I put cows back on and it really made me reflect and sit back and say, how good of a job am I of putting those cows on a pedigree and where I put them on a pedigree? And I haven't done a great job when I list my favorites of where they're at. You know what? I'm going to start completely. Well, first of all, Corbin, you mentioned uh, 605. Totally agree. Buds. Great, 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 great cow. Great cow. As, as, as much publicity as she's gotten lately, still one of the most, I'll tell you, this isn't to pander to my friend, Bud, 
the most underrated cow in the breed, perhaps. You know what's funny? Who's her maternal grandsire? Flesh Brother 2, EXT614. Yes. So if you don't think there's value in lining up those pedigrees and how we line them up and how we combine different maternal lines, you're fooling yourself. And that's something, again, EPDs won't account for. And so that bull, just, just for our audience, GAR, EXT, was it 3344? Exaltation, I think. Exaltation. 3144. Yep. Exaltation. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great. So I'm going to go completely off the beaten path and I'm going to do this because I think we go into certain veins and people expect us to say certain cows and, and we've all had a depth of knowledge of a lot of cows. One of the most prepotent cow families I've ever dealt with in my life was DAR Elba 55, the mother of all the show stuff of Silveras. You want to put a whale belly and a pretty head in one and just revolutionize the show world and hair and stuff. Doesn't fit our breeding program, but frankly, that cow was nails and she flushed like a machine. I put her because I was actually part of the team at Cal Poly that was the last people to flush her. We were trying to get eggs out for O'Neill's ranch. Actually, she was euthanized there and we sent pieces of her to be cloned at Transova and no surprise to anyone else as we talk about mitochondrial DNA and epigenetics clones weren't the same. They weren't the same at all, but I had to throw that out for our show folks and and for folks that just appreciate good cattle, no more prepotent than Elba 55. Obviously top of the list, Black Cat May 4136. I went on my riff earlier about the Blackbirds guys. It's real. Look into your Angus Legends books. A lot of the power in the entire Angus breed come from the Blackbirds. They're renamed Black Cat Mays. They're renamed Black Caps. There's different veins of Blackbirds and they all go back to Blackbird of Korski, 1871, raised in Banffshire, Banffshire, Scotland by Robert Walker. I have to give this shout out, but it's cool to look at because I started writing a list when I first got this book for a gift. I wrote down all the power cows I could think of that I like putting in a pedigree. And I was like, oh, they all go back yeah, to the same awesome. cow, this Blackbird of Korski, which I thought was super cool. Um, Blackbird 6071, the cow that we bought full sister to VRD, came by it completely honestly at a dispersal sale. I'll tell you guys that story later it's where I first met my friend, Jake Tiedemann, believe it or not. I was sent there to buy the intenses. That's why I was sent there and called our consultant. And I said, hey, what's the deal with VRDs? Uh, he's working at the university at the time, said, these daughters are beautiful here. They're stout. They're powerful, good uttered. If you see a full sister, you like buyer. And we bought the one that I really, really liked. And that's the rest of the story. The cow's been completely, completely prepotent in how she passes along her genetics. I'm going to say Blackbird of Rolling Rock 1204, perhaps the most underrated cow in Oldie's entire program for our environment here. And I'm, you're going to see that I continue to go off the beaten path, but I've found pieces in these programs that work here for me. So they don't get the glitz and the glamour, but they work here. 1204, more fertile, better footed, heavier milking, more productive, more length. Mother of Eureka, back in there on Paxton. We had a few flesh sisters at Polly when I was there by Durable. We ended up with some of them at Bruin. We still have that female tail here, which is super, super cool. By the way, if I might interject. Yeah. That is one of the great, great producing cows to ever come through the OCC program. I agree. And we're marketing eclipsed. Production, maybe. Yeah, right. Yeah, for sure. Nobody wanted a twelve oh four. If they would have, for sure. And so, anyways, uh, Dixie Erica ten nineteen. I still weave her in where I can. I think it, most people yeah. know him Blazon and and Great Plains. But you go back in there. I think oh fifty four, maybe. I think so. One of those Cedar Hills bulls. She's back in there on that. It's kind of cool. 
Cows you guys won't know or expect. Advantage Kind Princess 2336, bred by my good friend Jason Judge, out of an old Tehama cow that they bought. D517, cool Paramount Ambush daughter. She was a 5175. That's the cow. When we get to pedigree placement, I put her on the bottom of the bottom of the bottom, and she makes them perfect. I love that cow. The SAV cow that I weave in as many times as I can is Emblin at 7260. I don't know if she's the right one. I don't know if she's the wrong one. I know she's the one that works here for me. She'd be found in the exact same spot in the pedigree on Prosperity and International. That is my list, David. I've seen a lot of cool cows. I've had the pleasure of seeing some cool cows off the beaten path, but that's my list of cows. That is a great list. That is a great list. I'm, I'm glad you picked up on a few that I overlooked there. Awesome job. And and before we go on to our, our next little offshoot here, I omitted one cow that I intended to have on my list. And that's what's cool about this exercise is it makes us really reflect on all the cows that we've seen. A cow that uh, we're kind of building on here at Montana Ranch, that's the Madam Pride 3145. Cool cow. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm bringing her up because I know the three of us, Joe Corbin and myself, have had a lot of discussions about this cow. And I think, is there an heir apparent to 4136 at SAV? I don't know. But if there is one, I'm probably going to put my chips on 3145. So out of respect, David, it's on my list. I didn't read it because I'm going to show you on the computer. You can see it right here. This cow, I didn't make this up. <laughs> we own a son of her. I'm sorry for the pander, guys. Barrett's Miss 4004 2526 B-A-R. Cow bought by Gene Barrett. Goes back to the Miss Cow family. Mother of Super Duty and Overdrive and a bull that we own. That cow is incredible in that program. And she's done it with a no frills deal. Just done it on her own under the radar. And we weave her in wherever we can here. Yeah, that's awesome. How many cows... How many cows out there are as great as the ones that we've listed here that are not household names? Tons. Not household names at all. I dare say uh, most of our listeners out there, you probably got a cow in your herd that could run with a lot of these. You might not know it yet. You might not know it. Wouldn't you say the real good stockmen though, David, are the ones, and I bring this up not to say that I'm a good stockman, but you know what your eye is and what you want to achieve. And um, Steve Lund, mm -hmm. Lund's B-Bar Angus. You met Steve before? I, I have not, but I know him. Yes. Went to his place and there was a cow. I can't remember her number now, but blew my mind. This cow was incredible. She was some windy bread deal and she was bred to sits identity 2575 or something like that. And I'm following along on the sale reports at one time. And lo and behold, Brent Thiel bought that bull that was in her belly. And what in the <laughs> heck? So I called Brent and he goes, I just went and I saw this cow that just knocked my socks off. And so I bought her bull. Yeah. And I think that's what we need to be disciplined to is like, Look at the pedigree, investigate, but there's a pile of good cows out there. If you have an open mind and you trust what your program looks like in someone else's program. Absolutely. And you find those pieces, find those pieces. No, that's what's cool. We, you go out and tour these herds and yeah, you'll find that cow and you go, holy smokes. If I had an unlimited budget and, and unlimited slots for cows, well, I'd want to own her. They're out there. They're out there, man. Yeah. It's just like you said, the eye of the stock, we'll find them. So Trent Brown, so he brought us that, that question, you know, what are our favorite cow families? And then he had a, it's kind of a related question, but not entirely. He said, what seven cows do you want to see in a pedigree? And see, I think that's an even harder question. Super hard. That's impossible. <laughs> well, and let's leave placement out. Okay. Let's just leave placement out because some of these might not make sense in the place that we would have them in a pedigree. 
But let's go back to, I think, was it our first episode? And Joe actually said, when you look at a pedigree or when he looks at a pedigree, he wants every cow in that pedigree to be pretty much interchangeable. You put them in a corral all together, they all look the same. Guess what? If you do that, then the calf that you're producing is going to look just like those cows. It's that simple. And think about it. If you could line up a pedigree with seven of these prepotent cows in it, holy smokes, you'd own this business. The steers are going to look like the sire line and the females are going to look like the female lineage. <laughs> yeah. That's the way it's going to be. Absolutely. That's that's kind of been the mission that I've been on the last few years. Now, I haven't tried to do it with seven cows in a pedigree, but what I have been trying to do is line up two cows in a pedigree. And those two cows were the first two cows on my list, uh, the Donna 714 and the Black Cat May 4136. And we're going to let Joe go here in a minute and talk about pedigree placement. But as I look at those cows, and Joe, can he can debate me and tell me I'm all wet on this. But as I look at those two cows, I like to have Black Cat May 4136 topside and Donna 714 bottom side. Now, I'm doing some other variations of that, just experimenting. But when we talk about lining up prepotent cows, and these two cows, are they're vastly different. They've got a great story, great history. Uh, their production is beyond reproach. However, however, they complement each other. I like the maternal essence, the productivity of the 714s, all those maternal characteristics that I named earlier. And then I like the power of the Black Cat May 4136. I mean, she is a power cow. She's a high octane cow. You know, she's probably higher octane than what my ideal is. However, I think those two cows work extremely well together. So when we're talking about seven cows in the pedigree, those two are in there. And by the way, I can't limit it to seven. So I've got nine cows in my pedigree. <laughs> so, so Trent, I'm sorry to, to drop the ball here, and but I'm going to put Everelda Intense 76D on there. Uh, she was a right time daughter out of the Everelda Intense 1905. I'm going to put our Joni 3063 cow on there. She's the dam of benchmark. I'm going to put the Blackbird Progress 3015, the dam of Copel's BNB Pathfinder. I'm going to put the EXT 2104 cow in there. It's a gardener bred cow. She's an EXT Scotch cap. She's the dam of precision 2536. But if we put the cows in the corral, that cow's going to fit in perfectly. I mentioned Madam Pride 3145. She's another cow that fits very well. The next two cows I haven't mentioned, and they're probably not going to fit the corral as well as the others, but I'm going to put Rose 1019 in there. Uh, I think that's one of the more influential cows to ever come out of Canada. I think she's fantastic. She's a motive daughter, Line motive, and she's out of the roast 918 cow. And by the way, so two of the herd bulls that we're building on here at Montana Ranch, one is a direct son of 1019, and the other is a grandson of 1019. So we're trying to weave that cow into our pedigrees as well. And then I saved an oldie but a goodie for you guys. And I'm absolutely confident 95% of our audience will not know this cow. This was a cow bred at TC Ranch by Vance Huden in uh, Franklin, Nebraska. This cow, she is named TC Gestress 6004. Just do an Angus search on her. Uh, she was a Pathfinder dam. But this cow was extremely prepotent. She was the dam of the original, the original, not 365, original T.C. Stockman, which I thought T.C. Stockman as an individual, phenotypically one of the great, great Angus bulls I've ever seen. But Jester 6004 fit that mold of that cow that was uh, 
she was a cow that would just go through life. You'd never recognize her. But at weaning time, you would always pick out her calf. You know, she was a very, very modest sized cow. She wasn't, she wasn't perfect uttered, but she was good enough. I'm going to tell you what, in range conditions, that was probably an 1,100-pound mature weight cow. And it was nothing for her to bring in an 800-pound calf. I mean, I think she was one of the hardest working cows in the business, but I'd, I'd certainly want her in the pedigree. Joe, how about you? What are your seven cows? I think I mentioned a lot of them already. Like you, I've, I've got some others that I'd put on there as well. And I don't know that my pen is maybe as consistent as yours. If you looked across them as a pen of cows, but if you, when we get to pedigree placement and I tell you where I'd put them, it'll make sense. I think one thing to really remember when Trent gave us this exercise, we don't have access to the pedigrees we need because we haven't been thinking about breeding cattle like this long enough. Um, And that's the hope I have when I share this information with people is to have the freedom to start constructing your pedigrees and come up with your three to five generation plan now and what it's going to look like. Because whether you want it or not, that's what your program's going to become. And you're going to realize that you blew right by some tools you wish you still had. For me, I start with, uh, you know, if I'm building that house, I'm going to start with 2336, that Princess Calvars that that I mentioned. Um, I'm going to put the 6071 cow on there. And again, I don't know that those are the best cows in the breed to use guys. I'm just saying, I know how to use them. I know how to use that tool. I know how to use 7260 Ashoffs. So I weave her in. I know how to use 4136 and her mother and her grandmother. And I weave those cows in and I kind of call them equals, even though 4136 brings a lot more punch and pop. But if you see a lot of these pedigrees that I'll use, a lot of times we keep that black cat man in a place keep the Blackbird in a place, and then 7260 in another. Blackbird 1204, again, the options are limited. She wasn't used as hard as 1019, but I still try to freshen up that pedigree with 1204 when I can. I'd put 3145 on the on the list. And if any of you are asking for my reservations, I'll tell you, I, I haven't found the other cows in a sun on that pedigree to use that fit the pedigree I'm trying to put together. So I haven't found a place to use her yet. And I don't know if that's right, wrong, or different. It just is. But um, she does have a son this year that should have some progeny that I'm going to check out. Another cow that is worth looking at, SR Poly 804, our friend Aaron Strumman raised. Hmm. That cow is unique, unique beast. And David, we didn't put it on there, but you know them polys. Some people say they're overrated. That was a cow family that used correctly, made some big waves in the Angus world and was running with a lot of the who's who in the Angus breed at that time. And I think they deserve the nod. That's a good lead in to to something that I wanted to touch on. And I've shared it with you guys privately. I feel like, and you're right, my pen of seven or nine, it's probably going to be a little more consistent in regard to type and kind than yours. And that's something that I really focused and honed in on hard here. But I feel at times we're sacrificing some productivity to get there. And I think when you include cows like the Poly 804 and the 1204, I think you're picking up that productivity. That's the purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get there on pedigree placement. But it's like, I think about Angus cattle just like putting together a composite. That's how I think about it. And I want my customer to get the complete burst of hybrid vigor, if you will. And I know they're not going to get hybrid vigor. I get that. Okay. All my friends that are composite breeders, don't, don't send hate mail to Corbin. Well, you can send hate mail to Corbin, but don't send it to me or Shauna. Send it to me. I won't get it. I want to have the factory that is churning out the consistency on the top and the bottom that when we put them together, 
there's a genetic explosion that my customer can harness the greatest degree of predictability and potency for that environment. And it takes intentionality and putting together a pedigree to do that. I shared with you guys that double bread 6071 that I made. I have a couple of those, some with emulation on the top and some with, with traveler on the bottom, and then some flip traveler on top, emulation on the bottom, and then crossed across each other. That's all with a plan to try to make a female line that has some prepotency in a certain direction to then shift that animal to the top or to the bottom of the pedigree. The downside, guys, is you got to have a buku amount of little pet projects everywhere. Yeah. And time. And the herd isn't nails and not nails consistency like you'd like to have. I, I say that they're, they're consistent in type, but they're a different style. Does that make sense? Yes, makes perfect sense. These cattle have a consistency in type, but then we extract a little power. And I think it's probably time. We'll let our let our guest host kind of warm back up to the waters of the Angus underground before we throw them in here. But we'll talk a little bit about pedigree placement if you want, David. And we probably built this up too much, huh? Because I ain't going to be as good as you think. No, let's get to Corbin's list and then and then we'll talk about pedigree placement. Oh yeah, we're going to let you just run wild with that. Sounds good. I do have the uh, the shot clock here. Oh, perfect. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna get a five hour energy drink. I'll be back. <laughs> but Corbin, what what are the seven cows in your pedigree? I didn't really come up with a list, you know, just having a short amount of time. You know, a lot of the cows you guys said are really they're on my list. You know, the 3145 cow, the 605 cow, just it's a lot of the same cows are on my my list of seven. The one thing I wanted to point out is that I kind of have an affinity for power cows. And so at some point I have to figure out a way to harness that and maybe bring it down a notch before I bring the power back in in subsequent generations. Yes. So that's one of the things that, that you know, whenever I get into this summer and, and into this fall and, and going and looking at herds is, is I've got to really start finding a way to implement some, because if I'm not careful, I'm going to have some 1800, 2000 pound cows running around here because that's just happens to be what I kind of am driven towards and what kind of catches my eye and what I like in a pedigree. I like that productivity. That's something that I've noticed about myself. And I know that in the future, man, we're going to have to do something to bring these things down. Not, not a huge notch because I still want that productivity, but we've got to continue that phenotype. So of all the cows I listed earlier on, I don't want them necessarily directly with the exception of 4136 and like a renowned resource, because I don't think that's a big deal. But like, I don't want those directly on top of each other because I think you're getting yeah. way too much in a lot of those scenarios. How can we bring Vince back into this deal? Sorry. <laughs> for our audience that is listening and not viewing, Vince had to step away for a bit and he's missed a lot of ground. But Vince, what what are some of your favorite cow families in your history? I was so disappointed when I had to leave because I've been working on my list as we were talking. <laughs> I know you already covered probably the Forever Ladies, the Everell Intenses. We did. And the Donnas. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you had 57D, and then oh, there man. was uh, Forever Lady 98. There you go. Those are two cows that would fit my pen as well. And then did anybody say the Henrietta Prides, or y'all just skipped past those? or We just skipped right over those. That hurt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Corbin, I mean, you got 643T in your – your favorite bull's pedigree, right? Well, upward, upward 643T's sister. Right. Yeah, upward's my favorite bull. Thank you very little. Yes, your favorite bull. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. identity is an upward, is he not? Yeah, he is. Okay. If you'd listened earlier, you'd have heard about the cow that was behind that deal. Okay, well, I apologize. 
And then I agree with David on the 1905 and 1137. And then you had the Ritas, the 614s. We could actually quiz Vince right now because we we not only talked about 614, but we talked about her full brother. EXT? No, that was her sire. Exaltation. Yes. I've got a picture of him behind me. <laughs> actually behind me. Is it next to the Windex? Next to the dagger. <laughs> Did you own that one too? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, for hell's sakes. Are, are there any bulls you haven't owned? Yeah, a bunch of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mr. Quiz, did anybody say anything about Black Bell 442? No, no, but great cow. She was just a junkie cow, right? Yeah, that was a great cow. Yeah, yeah. We lived to be 22 years old, I think it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw her when she was ancient. Yeah, no, that's a great cow. That's the thing. We're, we're not going to hit all these cows. No. I mean, that's impossible. We'd be on here for a week. Uh, you know, You know, we didn't even talk about Primrose 2424. No, we didn't. <laughs> Great cow. Was she prepotent? Eh, I don't know. I'm going to say no. Uh, me too. Well, and a lot of these were great cows in their time. Yeah. Were they a stepping stone? Probably. And 2424 was more prepotent through her son than she was through her daughters. Yes. Right. And then how many of those cows... Always make good daughters, but don't make sons, or always make sons and maybe not so good to daughters. And how how few of them do both? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look at all these great cows we mentioned. And twenty four twenty four is on the page through EXT. Absolutely, yeah. he's right on the page. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. This deciphering and and uh, carving out these pedigrees is a lot of fun for me. So are there seven cows, Vince, seven cows that you, if you could build the ultimate pedigree? Oh, God. I couldn't get it down to seven. I had nine on mine. Well, I mean, some of these cows for me are old and you can't get them in a pedigree. Well, yeah. Yeah, obviously. Exactly. I mean, there's no daughters or sons or sires that you could go back and use like, well, I mean, like 004, you could get 1137 and 57 no. Um, 8,003 or something? Yeah, 57D. Yeah, yeah. you can get 57D and 1137 in the same pedigree using the one bull. But are there other ways to get those? Like 1905, I mean, there was there was plenty. It was 24J and, and uh, several others. Yeah. Well, see, you're thinking too deeply here. We're just talking about putting all these cows in a turning back the clock. Okay, but you got to get it in the pedigree somehow, right? No, 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 no. We're going to turn back the clock, oh. and we're just going to make these oh. put these cows in a pedigree one way or the other. We're going to make sons and daughters to put in the pedigree. I got you. I was, I guess, overthinking it. Wow, there's a lot of them. <laughs> but you better believe Joe's devised a way to do it. He's going to figure out a way to put all these in the pedigree. I guess I probably had on my immediate list 57 day 1137. Uh, 714, 4136. Probably I liked 0075s. I'd like to learn more about them, but she would be one. Madam Pride. Yeah. Yep. Um, I don't know. I've got a list of cows here. Golly. <laughs> well, just like 558H. I mean, she had a lot of good qualities to bring. Yeah. Yeah, she did. So she would probably be one. Could you imagine? We'll take a detour. Could you imagine? using the stuff we have today on her oh man <laughs> i mean we didn't we didn't have bulls like that at our disposal back then right how many times do you think david said god i wish i could have done 558h resource yeah and 614 to atlantis 
for Pete's sakes. Right. Oh, good night. Yeah, be cool stuff. Cool stuff. Are you looking to market your semen or embryos? Introducing GeneBrokers.com, the industry's first true breeder-to-breeder online marketplace. Whether you're cleaning out your tank or selling semen on your special herd sire, GeneBrokers.com provides a platform to showcase your genetics to breeders from around the globe. Our intuitive portal allows you to create listings, monitor inventory levels, and customize your storefront. With GeneBrokers.com, there are no listing fees and a modest 10% transaction fee due at the time of sale. For those looking to purchase genetics online, GeneBrokers.com offers dynamic sorting functions to help you narrow your search to find exactly what you're looking for. Each transaction is fast, easy, and secure. All sales are backed by GeneBrokers' quality guarantee policy for smooth, hassle-free transactions. To make your next purchase or to begin marketing your genetics, visit GeneBrokers.com, where you'll find genetics at the speed of commerce. Well, guys, this is the moment we've all been waiting for. Don't build it up. <laughs> so our our good friend, Matt Thompson from Idaho, he wrote in with, with a question about what's this pedigree placement that Joe's always talking about? Top of the top, top of the bottom, bottom of the bottom. And why is that important? And Joe's been wanting to talk about this for the last nine months. So we're just going to turn... We're going to turn him loose. We're going to give him about five minutes to sum this up. I don't even know if we have five minutes, do we? We got like (laughs) two and a half. I'm going to shoot for 30 seconds and I'll guarantee five minutes. Oh, wow. You know, some of the best advice I ever had is uh, I was touring through Griswold's cows in 2005. They just bought a bunch of cows from oldies. I think the cows were in South Dakota and then they shipped them down there. And uh, I was touring around with John's brother, I think Greg, if I said that right. And Greg, if that was his name, if it's not Greg, Greg, I'm sorry, or whatever your name is, I'm sorry, but I think it was Greg. He said, you know, my dad had the ugliest, ugliest limousine bull. And he always made the most beautiful daughters. And he said, bulls that look like bulls make females that look like females. And females that look like females make bulls that look like bulls. And I touched on this earlier in the podcast where we were talking about how a lot of times it's, it's. I think it was the carcass craze that started to do this. And of course, you think about the cows we were using. You guys mentioned all those power cows in the 90s. We were using carcass cattle, but using the cows to provide the power and the weight. And uh, I mentioned one of my mentors, Mandy Tyler, and the very first thing she told me about horses, dogs, rabbits, whatever, you define power and you define pretty, but keep the power on the top and the pretty on the bottom. And I think that's sage advice. When you think about what you want your cow herd to look like, so power, I would say, is like, what are your steer calves? What do you want a big strapping steer calf to look like? That's how you define power. And pretty is what do you want the cows running around the hills to look like? And so if she looks like that, I want her in the bottom of the pedigree the very bottom. And we're talking about that line that goes all the way down. And then you get on the maternal grandsire. If I looked at the maternal grandsire and his mother, that's where I would say the top of the bottom, if that makes sense. Okay. And then when we get to the top half of the pedigree, it's what the paternal granddam would be and the paternal great granddam up there's where I want the power. And up in the upper right-hand corner, which if you look at, um, Let's just think about a bull like rainfall, just because I know it off the top of my head. Upper right-hand corner should be Bohai cow, right? The Abigail cow. Is that right, David? You you working on the shot clock yet? <laughs> that cow is, is is a little bit more inconsequential to me. No, I think Vince is carrying the shot clock. No, he's trying to cut me out. No, <laughs> it's fine. If it's boring, we'll stop. No. Right? But anyways, what I'm getting at is that's how you get your outcross sire line. 
get your outcross sire line by bringing an outcross female, putting her up, working her all the way to the top. But I try to work my blackbirds, all of them, the black cat maize, all those cattle up towards the top quarter of the pedigree. On the second quarter down is where I'll take something that's more emulation sired, a little bit prettier, because then I'm mating when there's females, that female back on the next female line is pretty to pretty and the consistency goes up. But in order to get those lines right, you got to line breed power to cross back on the pretty and then use that F1, if you will, back across your line that's been developed for that. And so I know that's really, really confusing and I didn't do a great job of explaining it. I wish Cody Jorgensen would have dove into that a little bit. I don't know if they think about mating the same way, but they do have high inbreeding coefficients and they manage it through that kind of systems-based approach to mating cattle. But on females, when I mentioned mine, the EXT daughters, I always want them on the bottom of the bottom of the pedigree or on the top of the bottom. I've told you guys before, I'm looking for a sire line that is Rito EXT basically. And the reason is, is in order to get them on the top of the bottom, you have to use them on the top first, right? You have to work that down there somehow. And so when you start looking at, look up a bull, you guys want to look up a bull that's really cool and you'll find out why I used him. Look up SAV International. A bull that came out and he was he was kind of highly touted and some people used him when he worked and some people used him when he didn't. I think that's like six shots at 004, if I remember right. Or maybe it's four. It's, it's crazy. He's line bred to 004. He goes back to 7260, but up in the upper right-hand corner, you guess that he's outcross. And he's a completely different sire line to bring into the population. So that's how I think about it. Keep the power on the top, keep the pretty on the bottom. When I talk about sexual dimorphism, look that one up too, if you want. And hopefully you don't get any bad pop-up ads. It's like, <laughs> it's like in, uh, in nature, you know how like a, like a male lion is always bigger than a female lion, right? But how is it that an Angus breeding now will end up with steers that are look like deer and females that are the yeah. big power. It's because the sexual dimorphism is opposite. We tried to use cat gutted. No, I don't want to cuss no power bulls on the top and use a power female. So then you got it switched. So how do you get out of that? You got to use power back on top of it. And then you got to not keep the females and move along with the sire line. Yeah. And if you learn anything on Angus underground, you're going to learn what not to Google. Corbin's career choices and sexual dimorphism are right at the top of the list. <laughs> so if you want a definition, call Corbin and he can Google it for you. I've already got the pop-up ad, so it doesn't bother me. But uh, <laughs> Come on. That was the least better than shower gel, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a lot better. Absolutely. It's a lot more concise. <laughs> Great job, Joe. And And no, seriously, I think there's a depth of intentionality to what you just said that that a lot of folks really need to stop and think about and study. Pull out catalogs, uh, get on the Angus site, just do some pedigree searches, and you'll see a lot of what Joe's talking about in the great cattle. And try to figure out what the breeder was thinking when he or she did it. Absolutely. What were they thinking? What were they trying to accomplish? David, you said you like 4136 on the top and 714 on the bottom. There's there's probably people in higher octane environments that would prefer it opposite, frankly. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. One thing we did not touch on, we kind of skirted around the topic as we were talking about building these fantasy pedigrees, was a lot of times we'll have that cow in mind. We'll have that cow in mind that we want to integrate into a pedigree, but there's not a, a son that's available to do that with. And 
that's what where I'm at in our breeding program here. And you you guys uh, give me feedback on this, but I I'm having a hard time finding certain sons or bulls descending from some of these cows. But I might have a daughter or granddaughter of that cow here. And so what I'm endeavoring is to create a bull of my own that I can use back in that pedigree to pull those genetics forward. And I have a lot of semen that'll never get used. Yeah. There's a lot of matings. And that's what Mandy will tell you. She's like, is the individual worth more than the pedigree? And and I had some lessons learned on a different sheet that I wanted to share and I forgot. And now I'm remembering them at the end of the podcast when everybody's all left us. But don't be afraid to realize that the pedigree reveals more of the cattle than what they are. That individual may not express himself. And Mandy had a dog named Burning Man. And Burning Man was a full sub mating. And Burning Man was terrible, she told me. But he was in the pedigree of every single winning dog they ever had. So he then passed those genes on and passed on more than he was. The other lesson I would have is, is in theory, as you're mating these cattle in theory genetics and how it should be with the X's and the Y's and the mode of inheritance and how that all works on paper, the individual is still the individual. Resource is still different than renown. They have a different bag of genes that got mixed up and put together. So think about that individual. But then when you're making that mating between resource and renown, we know there's differences in what those females look like, but you're still getting 4136. And that's going to pop out in subsequent generations. That power is going to pop out, especially if you line it back again. So um, think about the breeder. Think about the pedigree. Don't put too much weight on the individual, but at the same time, evaluate the individual because they are all individuals. I tell you what, great episode, guys. Thank you all for uh, putting so much time into this. I want to reach out and thank Kevin Tebow, Trent Brown, and Matt Thompson. Great questions, and uh, I'm glad we uh, found the time to put an episode together that hopefully addressed those questions. And thank all of you if you stuck with us through this long episode, but we appreciate your listenership, and we'll look forward to seeing you back here on Angus Underground in two weeks. Until then, you know, keep it underground. This episode of Angus Underground was brought to you in part by Montana Ranch, the source for balanced trade Angus, which are different by design. If you love this episode, head over to where you listen to podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review. Also, check us out on social media where you can interact with us and to suggest subjects that you'd like us to cover on upcoming episodes.